Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in three areas of Scripture taking a break from our gospel series as this is Easter week. It's Matthew chapter 25, Matthew's gospel chapter 25, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and John chapter 13. Once again, Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians 5, John 13. Now let me tell you, sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning at 6 o'clock is going to be right in front of the main doors. And so if you're bringing a beach or lawn chair, um, we're going to have a special section for you to be able to sit uh, in front there. And then we'll also have some chairs that are set up for those of you who don't want. I hear some of you are bringing um, little hibachis and making breakfasts. And um, it'll be like the sweet-smelling aroma up into the Lord. Um, so we want to say we're glad our youth will be um, having donuts available for us. Uh, remember, as I told you this past Sunday, that uh, they are going on a mission trip, many mission trips this summer. And so we want to support them as part of the family. So this sunrise service, it's going to be a huge family meeting. Amen? So looking forward to seeing you and then back again, 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30. Once again, those areas of Scripture, Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and John chapter 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm just so thankful for your grace. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we have you to depend on. Because life has no guarantee. Except it's appointed for man to die. And so, Lord, I pray that our dash from the year of our birth to the year of our death, our dash would be filled with the desire to glorify the Father. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us for this night as you ministered to Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane and gave him the power to face his greatest trial. We ask, Holy Spirit, that the power of the resurrection would be real, would be true, would be evident in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is terminal, and he knows it. In John chapter 17, verse 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. He knows it's time. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Father, the hour has come. He knows the feast of Passover is at hand, And as the Lamb of God, 
He's going to take away the sins of the world. In fact, the sins of the world are going to be laid on his shoulders. In total control, he's initiated the process by upturning the tables for the second time in the courts of the temple after the crowds shouted, Hosanna. Now, this was strategic on his part. For he knew they would not arrest him in front of the crowd that just praised him. And he knew that the day and the hour of his sacrifice would be the day and the hour that the sacrifice of the Passover lamb would happen in the temple, and that would be on Friday. This enraged the Pharisees, this turning of the tables, because it affected their pocketbooks. In fact, their pocketbooks would be so deeply affected because this was the holiday season. It was like Christmas in New York. And imagine if they just told all of the street vendors, you cannot sell on the streets of New York. This would enrage them. It was the final straw. And it was the final straw that pushed them to seek his death that they would take the next several days, in fact, four days, to consider the plan. So Jesus, on this night, there in the garden, knowing their plan, he would pray, let this cup pass. As human, he was the God-man. He understood the pain. He had seen crucifixion before. He knew the anguish that lied ahead of him. He would feel each jeer, each slap, each whip, and each nail. As God, he knows he was the only one who could accomplish the will of God. In fact, he even said in his prayer in John 17, I've glorified you on earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, his passion, no matter how he felt, no matter what was going on, no matter the experience, his passion was to glorify his Father. Now, I've been at many bedsides of people that know it's their time. And people who know it's their time, they know it's their hour, and they know their time is short. I've often found that they take the last moments to discuss the most important things in life with those they love. They're no longer yelling about who took, didn't take out the garbage. They're not concerned about whether or not the dishes have been washed. No, in these final moments of their life, sometimes even their final breath, they are downloading their love and affection for their family and their friends. Maybe they're making wrongs into rights. Many purpose to even lighten the load with some brevity to help their loved ones in the midst of this process by cracking a joke or making them smile. But every one of them that are at the moment of death's door, every one of them are preparing for their departure and preparing their loved ones for their departure by expressing to them the deep things that are in their heart and things that are stirred in their soul. Jesus, he's terminal. 
And Jesus is doing the very same thing. In fact, he spends an entire week to prepare the ones that he loved, his disciples, for his departure. John chapter 13, verse 1, you'll see it on the screen. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, he knew he was terminal, that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father. He was going to leave his disciples. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And when you love someone and you know you're terminal, you are expressing truths to them, things that are in the depth of your heart. And over the course of this week, prior to the hour, Jesus was revealing his heart by the things that came out of his mouth. Thank God that we have them recorded by the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And we find his conversations in the last few days of his life, in the last few chapters of each of the Gospels. You remember. You remember when he was challenged by the Pharisees. Who gives you the authority to teach here on Temple Mount? Jesus. He revealed his authority in the wisdom of his response as the disciples watched Instead of answering their question, he questioned them. Who gave John the Baptist his authority? Well, the Pharisees knew that the crowd loved John the Baptist, and they didn't know how to answer, so they refused to answer. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer you either. See, Jesus, he would dare not cast his pearls before swine. Nor would he answer a fool according to his folly. So when Herod wanted to see some magic tricks of Jesus, he answered Herod not a word. He wanted to show the disciples in this last moments of his life that oftentimes wisdom is found with discernment. That there will be times when to say something and times when you shouldn't say something. That there will be moments to invest and moments when you shouldn't invest. Well, the Pharisees weren't done after they questioned him on his authority. No, they had taken days to attack the Lord and think of their plan. And so they would question him on politics. Well, you never talk about politics and religion. Well, yes, you do if you're a Pharisee and you're trying to catch Jesus. They talked about religion. They talked about theology. So they came to Jesus and they said to him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He would respond to the question of taxes with wisdom. He would take a coin and he would say, whose image is on this coin? Well, it's Caesar's. And then he would say something so profound, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I think we've missed the point of the wisdom of his answer. His point is the image of Caesar is on the coin. And his further point is the image of God is on humanity. We are made in his image. He was revealing his heart that each human has the responsibility to give God that which belongs to him. Our very lives. Our very lives. What wisdom. He would respond to the theological debate of the resurrection. Oh, they'd come up with a good one. Okay, let's say, Jesus, Shimon here, he's married. Uh-huh, we pay. 
And Shimon dies. And his brother, Yehuda, <laughs> marries his wife, Miriam. But Yehuda, he dies. But he's got another brother, and he dies. And she marries him. Whose wife is she when he, she gets to heaven? Jesus responded. Listen, church, especially those of us who think we know the Scriptures. You don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. He says, have you not read in the book of Moses how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. They were focused on death when God is focused on abundant and eternal life. He wanted his disciples to know in the last few moments of life the power of God that he gives us in this life and the life to come. You see, Jesus is using these moments to express his heart. He would respond to the question of religion. Which is the greatest commandment of all, they asked. Jesus said, listen up, everybody. That's Chet language. (laughs) Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love. He would quote the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. He would say, Shema Israel, listen, O Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's the first commandment. But the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, He wanted his disciples to know the most important thing to God is our relationship with him. No wonder he would tell the Ephesians who were so busy about serving God, you've left your first love. You're so busy serving me that we've lost our relationship. It's just like raising children. We get so busy raising children, we forget our spouse. Publicly, he would rebuke these Pharisees. He would rebuke their hypocrisy in Matthew 23. He would pronounce woes. Now, whenever Jesus goes, woe, that's like woe, okay? Like, woe. When Jesus goes, woe, on your behavior, when Jesus goes, woe, on your lifestyle, when Jesus goes, woe, on the intent of your heart, he would say to these Pharisees, While they looked the part, oh, they looked like believers. They had their phylacteries, and they had their robes, and their hair, and their, you name it. They looked religious. He said to them, whatever they tell you to do, do it. But don't do according to their works. For they say, and they do not do. Hypocrites. And he wanted his disciples to realize heaven's view on hypocrisy. Earlier, he had called it the leaven of the Pharisees. Maybe it's why James would write, 
that teachers would receive a stricter judgment. You see, hypocrisy is no bueno from heaven's perspective. No bueno. I was trying to think of a way to put chicharrones in there, but it just didn't work. Not only would he use the attack of the Pharisees to express his heart in these last few days, he would also tell stories. Matthew chapter 25, would you look at one of them? Here in the last few moments of his life, he would say this. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, ten ladies who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I said to you, I don't know you. Watch, the moral of the story, watch, therefore, For you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You see, Jesus told this story because he knows he's terminal. And he's telling this story so that we would watch for his coming. Now, if you note in the story, five were prepared and five were not prepared. Now, they all fell asleep, which is a normal function as you find yourself waiting, but he expresses his heart that you've got to be prepared. Even if you fall asleep, you've got to be watching. You see, to watch actually means to refrain from sleep. What soldier on watch has any value? Just imagine. Just imagine if Anthony, my security, fell asleep. Anthony, if you fall asleep, that's not great. But just imagine, he falls asleep. Oh, I'll never forget Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. My son was the security. Now, let me tell you, my son used to be a child soldier, okay? And as my son, he was a de- he's a deacon at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, and as my son escorts people down the row to give them their seat, my wife and I would cringe going, I don't know if those people know what he can do to them. So I pray they take their seat. But I'll never forget, he was my security, and he was sitting here, and I was sitting here, and I was going to go up, and I was going to teach. Well, all of a sudden, I hear this woman screaming at the top of her lungs, like this, this, this scream like a dragon kind of screaming. And I look at my son like, do something. But he is fully engaged in worship. He doesn't even hear the woman who is screaming right behind him. He's just like, 
And I think he was asleep standing up. This woman was so loud. Now, the auditorium at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, seats 4,000 people. It was full. It's Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to teach. So I get up in the last worship song. I walk to the center aisle in the center of the center row. And there in the center seat. And they're all theater seats. This woman is screaming at the top of her lungs. And she's going off. So everyone looks at me. For the love of God, Pastor Chet, do something. So I scoot in the row like this as everyone parts like the Red Sea. And I scoot in the row like this. My son hasn't moved. I scoot in the row. I get to the row. She's down like this. And she comes up and she goes, praise the Lord, and punches me right in the eye. I fall back. My eye swells up. My nose is now bleeding. I fall back, and the loving people of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, threw me back in the ring. (laughs) This is a true story. I take the woman out into the aisle. She thinks I'm bringing her to freedom. So she goes even more nuts. I grab her arms. I escort her to the back. This woman who works with me, she met me in the back. She grabbed her arms, takes her into the bride room, hands me a Kleenex, wipes the blood off my nose, and looks at me and she goes, you got to go teach. I'm like, I can't see. (laughs) This is a true story. The woman gets upset and goes, why did you stop me? And the lady looks at her and goes, you just knocked out our pastor. I get up. And I'm looking at my notes. They played worship just a little bit longer. My son has not moved. So this is my prayer out loud. Father, we want to thank you for this day. But this is my prayer in my heart. Oh, God, I can't see my notes. Help me. Can you imagine if Anthony fell asleep? Anthony, that whole illustration was just for you. Thank you, Jocelyn. What soldier has any value if they fall asleep? To be watchful means to stay awake. And after telling this story, he would put his disciples to the test. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, he would tell the disciples, look at the screen, please, watch and pray. Watch. He had just told them his heart. He's terminal. in the last moments of his life. He's instructing them on the depths of what's inside of him. And he says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Whenever I go on a diet, I use this scripture. Andrea, my spirit is willing to eat that donut. And my flesh is weak. So just give it to me now. And our disciples would pass out three times instead of applying this scripture to the heart. And when the soldiers came, they were unprepared for the battle. 
They forsook Jesus and they fled. Truly, let me tell you something. Judas was not the only one that betrayed Jesus. Eleven of them just asked for forgiveness. One of them didn't know who to run to. They all betrayed the Lord. And I wonder if we can be careful to hear the heart of the Master and purpose to watch ourselves so that we can be spiritually prepared for whatever life may bring. Because let me tell you something. There are many who woke this morning that are lying on a gurney today. We don't know what life will bring. Reading the story about what happened in San Francisco with the developer of Cash App being murdered. Seeing the plea of his two daughters. They didn't wake up that morning thinking that they would not see their dad. You see, he says to watch for a reason, but we need to learn how to watch. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul would write, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you've no need. So he's talking to Christians that I should write to you. In other words, you know what Jesus said. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And so what the Holy Spirit is letting us know, it's going to be during a time of great peace. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness, verse 4, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, you know the truth. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So we need to be awake, we need to be alert, and we need to be filled with the Spirit. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. He says, look, you know Jesus is coming. Are you living accordingly? He says, you're people of the day. You're not a people of the night. In other words, you walk in the light. You do righteous things. You don't do unrighteous things. Imagine if you were watching one of those movies. And all of a sudden you heard, (gasps) not now, Jesus. Not on this scene. Imagine. You are in argument with your wife. I can't believe you never, you do, 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 do. (laughs) Imagine you're about to cheat on your taxes. Do, 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 do. Imagine 
You are about to go. Did you hear what sister so do 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 do? How many of you want to hear the trumpet when you're doing something sinful? What he's saying here, if you're sleeping or if you're waking, you'll hear the trumpet. Imagine for all of eternity, your story is this. I'll never forget when the trumpet blew in my life. Because the rapture is going to become like 9-11. Do you remember what we all say about 9-11? Where were you? But in heaven, it's going to be, well, what were you doing? (laughs) Well, God bless you. Thank God for redemption. And that's your story for eternity. Now, what if your new name, you get your new name, and it's what the last thing that you were doing? Just think for all of eternity, your new name is Gossip. Just imagine your new name is Slanderer. Don't you want your new name to be Praise? Joyful? Don't you want your new name? Oh, Long Sufferer. There she is. God bless her. Who wants to be known as abuser for all of eternity? Now, I know I'm being slightly facetious, but maybe it's true. You see, the Bible uses day to refer to righteous living, and he expresses to us how he wants us to watch. And he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, a Roman breastplate went from here to here. It protected all the vital organs, especially the heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, one of the wisest men said, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know what's been in my heart lately? Tai T Boba. I love Tai Chi Boba. So, Monday, Andre goes, what do you want to do? Tai Chi Boba. It's in my heart. Last night before I went to bed, you know what was in my heart? Dark chocolate. So you know what I did? I opened up a little dark chocolate. You know why? It was in my heart. And then it was in my mouth. And I love when people come to me and say, well, that wasn't my heart. Really? Because it was your actions. And out of your heart flows what you do. So it was your heart. You're just surprised that you did it. So your actions just reveal to you what your heart is. And then they leave the church. We guard our heart With faith. The breastplate of faith. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. In other words, we put the Word of God in us so the Word of God flows out of us. Faith protects us inwardly before God. We guard the heart also with love. 
You see, let me tell you something about when you put the word of God in, okay? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, faith works through love. In other words, the more we learn about Scripture, the more loving we should become. God, John tells us that God is love. So if we are learning about God, we should be more loving. And let me tell you what love looks like. It's actually joyful. I don't know if you know that. Because sometimes I want to tell Christians, could you smile? Like you look mean and grumpy. Like smile. Like my grandmother, she would always say to me, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I would say to her, can you let your face know? In a very respectful, wonderful way. Do you know that love is peaceful? Love is peaceful. It's not looking for the next argument. It's looking to resolve arguments. Love is patient. It's kind. It's actually kind. Like, it actually is active. Do you know what someone did in the cafe the other day? Because we, at Coffee Life, our, ca- our cafe now, our new name is Coffee Life, and it's your choice at Coffee Life. You get to pay whatever it is that the Lord lays on your heart. It's your choice at Coffee Life. So a lady goes, I'm leaving $100, and I want to pay for as many people as it pays for until that $100 is finished. Do you know what happened? Peggy began to tell people, oh, no, it's paid for. Someone paid Oh, no, it's paid for. So someone else, well, I'd like to do that. Well, I want to do that too. And all of a sudden, kindness became infectious. Do you realize if we were kind in L.A., what could happen? It's actually loving. Love is actually good. It's actually faithful. Love is gentle. Love is self-controlled. If you're an angry, greedy gossip... You're not protecting your heart. You're not protecting your heart. You see, love protects us outwardly with others. But then he says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Well, a helmet protects your head. It protects your brain. It protects the way that you think. And the hope of salvation is the hope that salvation gives to us. Jesus said something that is probably not on a plaque at your house. Listen. John 16:33 These things I've spoken to you. Now this was said in the last moments of his life. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, here's my will for you. You will have tribulation. Someone shout amen. What a promise. We will have tribulation. Hallelujah. Don't agree yet. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Did you hear what Jesus just said? We will have tribulation. And when we put the hope of salvation helmet on, the hope that salvation gives to us is that we can overcome the issues of this life with the hope of what's to come for us. 
This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, you know what the Apostle Paul went through. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, he would say, Therefore, we don't lose heart. For our light affliction, this is the man who had been stoned. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He had the helmet on. I'm looking to heaven, man. I've been saved. I don't care what I go through here. Listen to what Paul would say again in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. He said this, For we were saved in this hope. We got the helmet on. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He says, as believers, we can get through anything because we got salvation. That's what he's saying is the way that we should think. Go back with me to Matthew's gospel. Matthew, Jesus tells another story. Matthew chapter 25, take a look at verse 14. Remember, this is the last moments of his life. He is expressing his heart. This is not frivolous words. This is not take out the garbage. This is not do the dishes. This is the depth of his heart, the stirring of his soul. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to him. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. So he gave him some money. And immediately went on a journey. Then he would receive the five talents, let's call it $5,000, went and traded with them and made another $5,000 or five talents. Likewise, he would receive two, gained two more also, but he would receive one, went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he would receive five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. God is not calling us to be successful. He's calling us to be faithful. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. So he had 2,000. He comes with 4,000. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he had received the one talent came and said, Lord, <laughs> I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered sea. This is like the theologian describing God. I was afraid. And I went and hid. Commercial break. You heard the pause in me, so I have to say it. I can't wait till we get to heaven. And all these theologians that are arguing about who's right and who's wrong. And we get to heaven and God goes, you're all wrong. Sorry, had to do it. Back to... Back to our regular programming. I was afraid. That's amazing, right? The the most repeated commandment in Scripture from God is do not be afraid. But this guy's afraid. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. This guy obviously does not know God. 
But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servants. Now you're not allowed to call your children that. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has is going to be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch! This is the heart of Jesus in the last moment of his life. And while the stories of the ladies with the lamps stress the need for us to be watching for his return, this story stresses the need for us to work while he's away. To work. See, we're to be watching, and while we're watching, working. See, basically, God wants a return on his investment. The story says, I've delivered the goods. I I gave you the money. You see, God gave us his one and only son. I delivered you with the goods. When we were saved, we were given a new life in Christ. So what Jesus is telling his story is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this new life? He says, commendation comes, faithfulness is rewarded, and the right thing or the good thing to do is to increase the investment. Did you hear that? We are not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful with whatever it is. If God's called you to be a Sunday school teacher, be faithful. If God has called you to be serving the homeless, be faithful. If God has called you to be a Bible study leader, be faithful. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, what are you doing with your spiritual life? Now, there's two things. Two things that are guaranteed to increase the business of the kingdom. Preaching the gospel and making disciples. Those things advance the kingdom, increase the business of the gospel. Now, let's put it like this. If you had an investor who wanted to return, you might sell the frills at your business, but you wouldn't throw out the bread and butter. Let me give you an example. It'd be like showing up to Starbucks and they ran out of coffee. The bread and butter. It'd be like them looking and go, well, we decided not to sell coffee today. Would you like the muffin? No, I came for my London fog. I came for my latte. I came for my caramel macchinato, whatever it's called. I don't drink coffee, so whatever it is. You guys have names for, I don't, like, and I just learned a new one, an, an affogato or something. It's like ice cream and coffee. Affa, what is it called? Okay, whatever that is. God bless you. It's ridiculous. The point of Starbucks being in business is to sell coffee. Jesus makes it clear. If you're not doing the work, you're not part of the company. In fact, he says the servant was lazy. Now, let me tell you what that word means. It means slow, 
slothful, tardy, and lacking ambition. Now, this story makes sense for any business person. If you're selling Chick-fil-A at In-N-Out, you're going to be cut from the franchise. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. So Jesus has spent his final week revealing the things in his heart to prepare his disciples. And now as we close, he's in the final moments with them. And what amazes me about Jesus is he's an experiential teacher. So he'll speak something, and then he'll live it. So he preached, love your enemy, and then a Roman centurion shows up in Matthew chapter 8, the enemy of the Jews. So he would speak something, and then he would live it for you. So for the whole week, the entire crucifixion week, he's been speaking truth into his disciples. But now it's Thursday night. It's Thursday night. The disciples would go, and they'd prepare, and they'd participate in the Passover meal. We've hosted two of them here at our church. He's going to reveal his authority He's going to reveal his authority. Though the Pharisees question him, he's going to reveal his authority by his humility. They said, what authority have you? And what Jesus is going to do is now show the kind of authority he has. So in the Seder meal, there's a moment where you pass water around and someone washes everyone's hands. Jesus, because he's the authority, he washes their feet. As we know, washing feet was the lowest job that a Roman slave could do. If you were washing feet, you were like the lowest in the Roman household of slaves. Washing feet was like cleaning the latrine. Jesus knew that they wouldn't even understand what he was doing. They wouldn't even understand the power of this truth. Found that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. Jesus would later proclaim after the resurrection, all authority has been given to me. Let me tell you why. Because he displayed his authority in his humility. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John's gospel, chapter 13. You see, after he washed their feet, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, I'll pick it up there in verse 12. So when he washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down, he said to him, remember, he's terminal. He knows he's going to die. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. Can I remind you that the night before, the, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest? Can you imagine if that happened out in the foyer? Hey, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And then you come to me. Hey, Chet, I want to know, which one of us is the greatest? I mean, thank God that doesn't happen at Calvary Chapel South Bay. But Jesus reveals who the greatest is in the kingdom. The most humble. He says to him, you've been listening to me teach these things. You even call me Lord. I'm your master. So if that's the case, do what I've done. Let your authority be revealed by your humility. You don't have to tell anyone you've got the authority. Show them by your humility. This was that important to Jesus in the last moments of his life. On Thursday night, Jesus would prepare for his greatest hour. He was preparing for how he would glorify God. He was going to die on the cross. He would look at the disciples and he would say, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. I'm so grieved I could die right now. Stay here. Watch with me. He'd already given them the story, and now he's putting them to the test. Stay here and watch with me. That night, the disciples would watch Jesus set an incredible example, and they would never forget it for the rest of their life because they failed. And failure is often the greatest instructor in life. You see, Jesus would watch well. He would watch well in prayer. His prayer was passionate. His prayer was authentic. His prayer was from the depths of his heart. They were watching a living example of how we should engage with God as we watch for the return of Christ. How how, are you praying? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep it. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, I will be the name that can come. Let be done. Sounds like you're speaking in tongues. Father, I want to thank you for this day. Are you really thankful for the day, or is that just how you go into it? Because oftentimes people say, Chet, hello, how are you? They really don't care. They just want me to say fine. Sometimes I'll stop you in the lobby. Hey, how you doing? I am miserable. Great, God bless you. And they keep walking. It's true. They don't even hear I'm miserable because they're expecting I'm fine. When we go to God in prayer, Lord, I want to thank you for the day. Are you really thankful? My wife looked at me the other day and she goes, okay, I'm leaving. I'm praying for you. And I go, are you? Because I need it this week. And she goes, first of all, never question my wife if she's praying. She goes, well, let me tell you what I prayed for you. And she goes down this list. I was like, okay, you're praying. God bless you. Thank you very much. (laughs) You see, after his prayer, he was ready to go to work. 
In Matthew chapter 26, verse 45 through 46, take a look at what Jesus says. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. I got work to do. See my betrayers at hand. He watched well, and now he's ready to go to work. Once again, while he taught them the story, he sets the example that while we wait, we must work and do what God has asked us to do in order to glorify his name. Now, let me tell you something. This is not for the lazy, this work. It takes a holy ambition. It takes a driven desire. It takes a passion to be punctual to God's command. Christ was counting the cost in the garden. And while his love was a huge motivation, it was not the foundation. While his love for us was a huge motivation, it was not the foundation. The foundation of him going to the cross was his desire to glorify his Father. So, let us follow his lead and be able to say at the end of our lives, I've glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. I watched and I worked. I took those talents and I produced more. And I found myself on my knees in passionate prayer, talking and waiting for your return. Church, this was the most important thing for Jesus to express because he was terminal. Do we take this seriously? You don't express frivolous things when you're terminal. You express the depth of your heart. Are you watching? Are you working? It's important to Jesus. I pray it will become important to all of us. Amen? Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, you know I love this Thursday night crew because they can go deep straight down to the jugular. And your word is deep. It pierces the heart down to the bone and the marrow. It's a double-edged sword of truth and grace, of justice and mercy. And I pray that your grace would be sufficient for us now. Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church. Do you know this Easter there's going to be a lot of unsaved people walking around here? You might even hear some bad words because they don't know how to talk. They're not all Christian. Do you know that? 
Do you know that they may get mad at you in the parking lot? Because they're not used to the way Christians park. Take the bumper stickers off your car. Do you know what God says about his mercy? It endures forever. Let me tell you what that means. You run to the east, you run into it. You run to the west, you run into it. You go as far north as you can, you run into it. You go as far south as you can, and you run into it. When those unbelievers walk into our church, let them run right into mercy. Let them run right into mercy. There's going to be a lot of people here that are going to need a lot of mercy. Let you be the first expression of God's mercy to them. If you fight over a parking space, (laughs) that was funny. If you fight over a parking space, they could be an unbeliever and just drive right away. Just wave your hand. No, you take it. I'll walk a mile away. God bless you. I need the exercise anyway. When they take your seat that you've saved, that's your seat. And I sit there every Easter. Move. Because God may be sending you to Egypt. Because there might be an unsaved person where you've never sat before and your story might connect with their story and they might run right into mercy. Don't expect the greeters to be the only ones that say hello. When they run into you, let them run right into mercy. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.